Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. Wow, it's going to be a good day. It is a good day. Jesus. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Whew. Okay, I have some funny stuff for you this morning. And uh, I mean, I think it's funny. So you just give it a faith laugh if you don't think it's funny. And, <laughs> and so let's just go ahead and just start warming it up. Ha, 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 he, he, he. Give a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> All right. So I commented, I commented to an old man you seem to have such an amazing relationship with your wife. Even after 70 years of marriage, you still call her darling, honey, and love. To which he replied, I forgot her name 10 years ago, and I'm afraid to ask her what it is. Ha <laughs> ha. A couple of faith laughs there. <laughs> I told my sister that she drew her eyebrows too high. She looked surprised. <laughs> Remember that one? Yeah. Got a tomato thrown at me by Ken back there. Two cows are standing out in, the, in a field talking. And the one looks at the other and says, you know, I'm really worried about this mad cow disease. I've heard it's spreading really fast. The other cow says... I'm not worried at all. It doesn't affect us ducks. <laughs> yeah, the cow. He thought he was a duck, so he he already got the disease. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> all right. Hey, this <laughs> this one's my favorite. Uh, the other day there was a huge. This actually just reminds me of. Uh, of uh, our life, there was a, actually, a, in real life, there was a scorpion in the house. What, was that last night? Last night, yeah, we, uh, we, we took care of it. Okay, so the other day, there was a huge spider in our house, and I was going to kill it, but my wife said, no, 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 don't kill it, just take it out. So we went out for nachos, and he's actually a really cool guy. He wants to be a web developer. <laughs> I got Will. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Dad joke alert. Okay, everybody knows that Albert Einstein was a genius, but his brother Frank was a real monster. Oh, and takes a while. <laughs> All right, and I just had one more uh, thing, actually. <laughs> I had uh, one more thing. Uh, Tia was talking to me uh, yesterday. And uh, she was telling me that her and a lot of the BSSM students, if you don't know my daughter, she's in ministry school up in Redding, California right now. And she was telling me that uh, a lot of the ministry students were getting together and, and playing Monopoly. And uh, Jason, you'll appreciate this, and Kelly. But they, were, they created their own rules, the BSSM rules. So anytime you had to, anytime you got money, you had to tithe on it. And you put your tithe in free parking. 
And then any time that you land on free parking, it was because you had a, uh, been invited to do a speaking engagement, and that was your honorarium. When you <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and I was telling her, uh, like, you got, when you get land on free parking, you actually should have to, like, say a little bit of what this sermon would have been. And, uh, and then they had another one that's just silly. When they went to jail, it's because there was a church scandal and they had to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> this is how BSSM students play Monopoly. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus, thank you, Lord. God, thank you that you, uh, you're just full of joy. We thank you that the kingdom is uh, one-third, one-third of the kingdom is joy. So we just thank you that you're just laughing over us, Father, that you just enjoy us, you enjoy us as your children, you laugh over us, you rejoice over us, you sing over us. And we just thank you, Father, that um, you just have upgrades for people today. You have upgrades for people in the area of fellowship. Fellowship with you, Jesus. Fellowship with you, Father God. And we just thank you. I just pray for your anointing to just flow in this message that we would just receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is so in love with his bride. He so loves his bride. And the bride, you know, in our spirit, sometimes we may not feel this in our soul, but our spirit just longs for Jesus, our groom. Our spirit just longs for dad, father God. And Jesus just loves his bride so much. I believe there's, there's upgrades today in the area of fellowship with Jesus. Jimmy Carter, when he was uh, president of the United States, he did something pretty unusual for a president. He actually would contact different uh, Americans and he would ask to stay the night with them and they were picked kind of somewhat at random. And so he would, on several occasions he did this, he would stay the night with just random American citizens that he picked out. So what would it like to, what would it be like to get that call? Like what kind of lead time would you need like to host the president of the United States in your house? Like I know Joy and I are getting ready to remodel our house. So we'd probably say like, hey, can we, can we do the remodel first and then, then he can come? Or, you know, can we at least have a couple weeks to like just really clean and like, you know, fix all the things that need to be fixed before we have the president of the United States at our house? Like how would that feel to have the president stay with you? How would it feel to have, what if, what if it were Jesus? How would it feel if, if Jesus was gonna come and, and stay the night like, what kind of prep would you need for that? Let's take it a step further. What if Jesus was going to move in with you permanently? How would that feel? Does that make you feel a little nervous maybe? Oh, Jesus is, he's going to come live with me permanently? I think that for many of us, the thought of Jesus living with us might make us a little bit uncomfortable 
See, we all have a personal relationship with Jesus, but just how personal do we want it to be? How personal do we want it to be? Some of us might freak out, oh my goodness, Jesus is going to be around all the time. But the truth is, he already is. He's already always with us. The Bible says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's already with us. I love when Wendy was here. She was talking about Ephesians 2.6, which says, uh, we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. And she said, Ephesians 2.6 isn't a theology. It's a position. This isn't a, a, like a, a, a theology that we need to like, no, it's actually a positional scripture that tells us where we are seated right now, present tense, at all times, seated in heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. He's permanently connected to us. He's, he lives inside of us, and we're also seated with him in the heavenly realms. Don't ask me to explain how it works, but this is a positional scripture. It tells us where we're seated. So he's already always, always with us. But to the extent that we realize this or acknowledge this determines how close we actually feel to him. So he's right there. But to the extent that we believe that, that we are seated with him, that he is, he's close, he's right here, will determine how close we actually feel to him. See, a lot of times we don't feel close to him because we don't really understand how close he is at all times. So one of the ways that we grow in encountering his presence is by simply acknowledging him. Lord, thank you that you're with me. Jesus, thank you that you're with me. Thank you I'm, I'm seated with you right now in the heavenly realm. This is one of the ways we can and grow in encounters, grow in awareness, is just acknowledging he's with us. Jesus, you're with me right now. Before you go into a big meeting, oh, Jesus, I just thank you. You're with me not only right now, but throughout this meeting. At all times, Jesus is with you. He's close. I think it was the end of the summer last year, Chris Kildosher had invited me to come and lead worship at a conference that he was speaking at up in Prescott. And so I just decided, like, I'm just going to talk to, I'm just going to talk to the Lord on the drive up. It's about an hour and a half drive. I'm just going to talk to the Lord, and I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. And honestly, for the first 10, 15 minutes, it didn't feel much. It was just like, I'm just talking to the Lord, and nothing, didn't really feel anything emotionally. But by the time that I got there, it's like, there was like, as I was driving into Prescott, it was like there was like an open heaven over me. And it was like the Lord had been speaking to me, especially like the last like 45 minutes about all kinds of stuff, stuff that we'd never talked about, stuff that, you know, that uh, I hadn't thought of in years. And he's just speaking to me, revealing things to me. And it was just like this amazing experience. But the thing is this, is I realized later his closeness, his closeness to me didn't change, but just my awareness of his closeness changed. Because I set aside time to say, I'm just going to talk to God for an hour and a half. And all of a sudden, I became aware of just how close he is and how close his voice is. How many people have heard of uh, Brother Lawrence? Anybody? A few? Brother Lawrence. 
Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s. After he passed away, there was a, a book written about him called The Practice of the Presence of God. He worked in a kitchen, in a monastery kitchen. He uh, cooked, he cleaned, he did dishes. But what made him different is he made his life goal to commune with God at all times. He made it his life goal to commune with God at all times. He had the belief that communing with God was not just something we do at church or during his, your prayer time, but that communion with God was all the time, all day, every day, we can commune with Jesus. And even in our sleep, we're communing with Jesus. He's speaking to our spirit. People would come from all over the place to see this guy. Think about this. He never did anything. Like, he never didn't write a book. Like, this book was written about him after his life. He didn't, like, preach a sermon. He didn't do some great thing that, you know, we can look at and be like, oh, he did this one great thing or, or this great work in his life. Only thing he did was, I'm going to make it my life's goal to commune with God at all times. And people would travel to see him because being around him, they could feel the presence of God. So people from all over the place would just want to be around this guy. And, and it was said that he like had such wisdom because he just spent all his time with God. What if it became one of our life goals to just continually commune with God? Here's some of his quotes. He actually was just way ahead of his time because of the time he spent with the Lord. Think of this. These quotes were from the 1600s. He says this, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means, this is how he defines the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. See, some of us are, talk are comfortable with talking to God about some things, but we leave him out of other things. We limit the conversation because we don't think he cares or we're ashamed or we just believe some kind of a lie about his character. And so we have these certain categories that we're like, I, like, I talk to God about this, but we limit the conversation. He says, without limiting the conversation in any way, how many know Jesus cares about every detail of your life? And even the things that you're ashamed of, he wants into those areas the most. Because he brings light, <clears throat> light into those areas. Excuse me. <clears throat> he brings light into those areas, and he actually removes the shame. Jesus took our shame. So the enemy wants us to hold back those areas that we're maybe feeling shame in because he knows that Jesus will come into those areas and remove the shame and actually set us free. Here's another quote from Brother Lawrence. I regard myself as the most wretched man of all time and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king, overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask his pardon, and abandon myself entirely to him to do as he wills. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastising me, lovingly embraces me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hand, and gives me the keys of his treasures and treats me as his favorite. He talks with me and is delighted with me 
in a thousand and one ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. Here's another one by Brother Lawrence. Think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. He actually wants to connect with us. I just had this feeling this morning in, um, in, when we were in prayer that like the father just desires his children so much. Jesus desires his bride so much. And if we could uncover all the junk, like our spirit desires Jesus so much. It desires the father so much. And he actually longs for us. We sang it this morning. He's jealous for us. And it's not, it's not this worldly jealousy. It's a jealousy like a husband and wife would have for one another. If you saw your, your spouse with another, how, how much it would grieve your heart. That's the jealousy that the father has for us. So we need to cultivate a greater awareness of his presence in our lives. And we can do this. We can cultivate a greater awareness of his presence. I believe that there are things that we can only learn about God from spending time with him. There are so many things that you can't discover about God intellectually or from any other way, but just by spending time with him. That there's so many things that he wants to reveal directly to you as you spend time with him. He has treasures for you. He has secrets that he wants to reveal to you. But it happens in, in that place where we just allow him to speak to us. And we just make room for it like I did in that trip. God didn't change. He didn't all of a sudden just say, yeah, this is the moment I'm going to reveal myself. I just opened my ears. And he revealed and he started speaking to me. There's impartations and revelations from him that we only get by spending time with him. Daniel 2.22 says he reveals deep and hidden things. Jeremiah 33.3 says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and some translations say great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, how do you find unsearchable things? I think there's, a, there's an implication here that you can't get them intellectually. You can only get them relationally. Unsearchable things, you can't discover them other than relationally with the Father. There's rewards for just... Pursuing God in an intellectual way, but just in a relational way. There's secrets. There's rewards. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. 
Now, I saw this verse in a little different light. Actually, I'll just, conf- I'll just confess because I thought this was kind of cool. <laughs> but I was at the coffee shop and I'm studying for this message and I, I look up and there's this lady standing on the counter and on her shoulder says Isaiah 40, 31. And I just look up the scripture and I was like, oh, that's going to my message. That's for the message. <laughs> and I saw it in a different light. I saw it in a different light. That's a scripture about gaining strength and energy from God. This is a, a scripture about getting energy, getting strength from God. It says those, who gets the strength? Those who wait on the Lord. Now here's how it says that phrase in the Passion. It says those who entwine their hearts with Yahweh will experience divine strength. So practicing God's presence will entwine your heart with God's, and when that happens, you'll experience divine strength. You'll start to get divine strength as you entwine your heart with the Lord. How do you do this? You can't get it by doing enough good things. You get it by just coming into his presence and just, here I am, Lord. What do you want to say to me? What do we want to talk about today? Should I try that? It's kind of scary. I think you need a flat one to do that. (laughs) So for the past three weeks, my wife and I have been on a a carnivore diet. And it's, it's really limiting. There's only a very few things that you can eat. It's extremely limiting. And one of the things that we've experienced is consistent and like constant energy. Like we don't have energy spikes or dips. You know, the feeling sometimes that I had before we start doing this in the middle of the day where you just feel like you need a nap, like that's gone away. You just feel like continual constant energy. And I realized I can even go longer without eating and I still feel like sustained energy. The reason uh, for the energy boost is you're cutting out things that drain your energy and you're feeding on things that give you energy. People with arthritis um, have experienced complete relief on this diet. We know people personally that have had arthritis and they tried this diet. All the pain from arthritis went away. People have seen their autoimmune issues completely disappear in this diet. And I, you bet, I bet you think I'm like giving you a commercial for the carnivore diet, but I'm not. <laughs> Because I believe there's a, a spiritual metaphor here. How many know God just speaks to us? And whatever we're doing in life, he'll just use it to speak to us. And so always be looking like, God, is this you? Are you trying to say something? Like, what are you trying to say right now? Because he'll use just the things that are happening in our life to just speak to us. So here's what the Lord showed me. Spiritually speaking, when we limit, because on this diet, we're so limited in what we can eat. It's, very, it's like five things, really. It's like five categories of, of things. When we limit what we're feeding ourselves spiritually, we cut out the negative. Could be negative news media. Could just be negativity in general. I love the Backlands. They do, every year they do a 30-day negativity fast, positivity feast. And they try to get as 
<clears throat> excuse me, they tried to get as many people to, to do this with them, uh, negativity fast, positivity feast. But when we spiritually limit ourselves from what we're feeding on, gossip, negativity, even certain entertainment, there's so much entertainment right now that's just garbage. When we limit that and we feed on the life giver and practice communing with him, we experience joy. We experience strength. We get energy that's lasting and we don't feel the emotional ups and downs like we do when we're consuming a little bit of God and a little bit of his presence and then a little bit of junk, a little bit of like negative news media, a little bit of like, we're just kind of dipping our toe in a little bit of gossip. We're just kind of like feeding on this, this stuff that's created that's just full of darkness, this entertainment. And then no wonder we experience emotional ups and downs. We saw a movie recently, and I won't say what movie it is, but I just left, we, we left and I just felt like a heaviness. I was like, that was just... I just feel heavy now after, after seeing that movie. I wish I could unsee it. A lot of that stuff has just depression and like heaviness and darkness on it. So we need to limit, we need to be careful what we're feeding ourselves, what we're letting ourselves be entertained by, just for our own good, for our own well-being. Those who entwine their hearts with Yahweh will experience divine strength. So people on the carnivore diet, uh, a lot of them experience healing from autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune disease is where your body is attacking itself. And when we're feeding on negative things of this world, it's almost like we can have like a spiritual autoimmune disease because we're feeding these things into our mind and our own mind becomes at war with our body our own mind can start becoming in disunity with what God says, with what he's doing. And it can cause like this spiritual autoimmune with like what's in your mind is warring against the truth of God. That's why Romans 12.2 says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In the Passion, it says it like this. <clears throat> Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. As we direct our thinking towards him and we commune with him, we experience life and energy. We'll experience life and energy. Your emotions are just telling you what you really believe. If you, have, if you have negative emotions, like this is how the backlands say it, like if you're just full of negative emotions, you're believing a lot of lies. If you're full of hope, you're full of energy, you're believing a lot of truth. So our, our emotions are super helpful because they tell us what we believe. 
So in certain areas we have no hope, we're believing lies in those areas. And we can go to the Father and get into his presence and say, okay, God, I have no hope. I have hard emotions, negative emotions in this area. What do you say about this area? This will transform your life. This, that one thing just changed my life. It took me from, I used to live with a lot of discouragement. And it took me from being discouraged <clears throat> much of the time to like where discouragement just pretty much got completely destroyed in my life. Just by asking the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm having a, I have a tough emotion here. What am I believing that's a lie in this area? And just asking him what he believes, what he sees. And then you take what he says and you start to declare that in your life. You start to believe it. You start to meditate on it. We're transformed not by what we do, but by what we believe. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what we think about. So let me say, let me say it in a different way. Instead of trying to act like Jesus, we just need to believe what Jesus believed. We need to believe what Jesus believed. Your actions will always follow your beliefs. So when we try to change our action without changing the belief, it's kind of like trying to take care of a symptom without going at the root cause. Because your action is just tied to a belief. And so what we need to focus on, instead of focusing on what I'm doing wrong, I need to focus on what I'm believing wrong. Because my action is just tied to something deeper. A belief. So a great question to God is not, not God, what am I doing wrong? Because we probably know what we're doing wrong. <laughs> a better question is, God, what am I believing wrong in this area? What am I believing that's, that's not correct in this area? Your actions will always follow beliefs. So how do we begin to believe something? This is this is key. How do we begin to believe something that we mentally know is true, but we can see in our lives that we don't fully believe it? Like, let me, let me give you an example. I could believe that I'm blessed, like that God's going to provide for all my needs, but then I'm struggling to pay my bills. So it's like, well, mentally I believe this, that God, you're going to provide for all my needs, but my experience is not adding up to it. So how do we begin to believe something that we mentally know is true, but we, we can see in our lives that we don't believe it or it's not manifesting in our lives? So here's, here's how we believe it, and here's how you can just change your life. Declarations and meditation. Declarations and meditation. One time the Lord spoke to me and said, your problem is not that you don't know the truth, it's that you don't meditate on it. You haven't taken the truth and, and took it to battle and said, God, I'm, I'm going to choose to declare this. I'm going to choose to stand on this and meditate on it and chew on it. That's what the word meditate means in the Old Testament. It means to chew on it. Like, I'm going to take this truth you've given me and I'm going to Take it to battle. I'm going to chew on it, meditate on it. I'm going to declare it until it becomes real in my life. And you can do this. Anybody can do this. 
your problem's not you don't know the truth, it's that you don't meditate on it. That's what the Lord spoke to me. I love it when he speaks to me like that. <laughs> Sometimes I need the direct truth. God will give us revelation, but it's our job to steward the revelation. He'll give us the revelation. He'll give us the truth that we need, but he, this thing is a partnership. This whole deal is a partnership with God. He, he didn't create us to be his robots. You know that, you know that uh, sometimes we say, and we've maybe said in church cultures, like, God, more of, more of you, less of me, right? We've said that. I know <laughs> I had a friend who, uh, it's actually, it's kind of a sad story, but a funny story at the same time. He was struggling with uh, addiction, and it was like uh, narcotics. And he was a pastor as he was struggling. And he gets up, he said the, the straw that broke the camel's back one day was, he gets up to preach, and he's like, he starts shouting, Lord, more of me, less of you, Lord. And his wife, he was, his wife was with him when he was telling the story. And his wife said, yeah, and you, you kept repeating it too. Lord, more of me, less of you, Lord. And, he, and he, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, oh, I've got a problem. He was actually high when he was getting up to preach. But do you know what the context of that is? This is uh, John the Baptist said it. And the context of this is, I love it. There was, there's a, I can't remember what it was. There's a movie where they depicted it really well. And I said, yes, I like jumped out of my chair. The context of this was, John the Baptist was, dis, was baptizing all these people. But then Jesus started, Jesus' disciples started to baptize people. And something rose up in John the Baptist's uh, disciples and they were like, wait, wh what are they doing? Like, this is our ground. We're the, it's like turf wars. Like, no, we're the baptizers. Like, we, we hang out with John the, John the baptizer. Why are they? So they go to John, like, as if to tell on Jesus' disciples. Like, do you know that they're baptizing people? And John says this to him. This is essentially what he says. He says, yeah. My ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. My ministry right now is winding down, and his is just starting. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, we've taken it out of context and been like, God, because that's what he said basically is he's like, his ministry is going to increase, mine's going to de decrease. So we've taken that and been like, God, all of you, none of me. Like, that's where that thought ends, right? God, more of you, less of me. So like, where does that thought go to if you take it to its extreme? None of me, God, all of you. How many know God had none of you before he created you? So he actually created you because he likes what you bring to the table. This deal is a partnership. He wants to co-labor with you. He loves your gifts, your talents. He loves what he put inside of you, and he wants to collaborate. Look at Moses. God says, I'm going to destroy the people. I'm going to start the whole thing over with you, Moses. I wonder if Moses was tempted just for a second, like, yeah, these people are wild. Maybe that is a good idea. This has been really hard. But what's Moses say? Lord, if you do that, the Egyptians, they're going to say that you're a cruel God, that you took your people out into the desert just to kill them. 
What do friends do? Friends actually look out for each other's reputation. And God says, okay, I'm not, I won't kill them then. This is partnership. This is friendship. This is partnering together. Now, some people say, well, God knew he wasn't going to do that. And he was just talking to Moses. What, what, however you slice it, he invited Moses into a conversation and he actually took his feedback. Amen? Where was I? God will give us revelation, but it's our job to steward the revelation. He wants to partner with us, so he'll give us the sword to kill the giant. But he expects us to steward the sword and to take it into battle. He's working with us. There can be this unhealthy thing where we just think, well, God's going to do it, and I don't have to do anything. Yes and no. <laughs> he wants to partner with you to see his kingdom of heaven come to the earth. Amen? If you look, look throughout the Bible, God uses people to bring his kingdom of heaven to the earth, people that are willing to partner with him. We're meant to identify our giants and kill them. Joshua and Caleb they looked at the giants. They said, oh, they're going to be our bread. No problem. God's promised us this land. The giants are our bread. See, so many of us, in our, it's interesting in that passage, there's 12 people, 12 spies. There's two of them that say, we got this. The giants are our bread. There's 10 of them that say, giants are too scary. We can't get to the promised land. And unfortunately, when we look at the body of Christ, that's a, that number is about right. So many people say, I can't get to the promised land because the giant's too big. But I know this room is full of Joshua and Caleb's. It's full of people that say, no, the giants are supposed to be our bread. They're not supposed to be the hindrance of what stops us. They actually are our bread. So we kill our giants by believing the truth. We believe truth by meditating on it. It's not enough to hear the truth once. We have to grab it, to declare it, make it ours. That's how we begin to believe. That's how we begin to truly believe it. Now, there's exceptions to that. I've had things that the Lord told me once, and it just transformed my life. There's other things that I had to go to battle. Like, Lord's given me this truth, but I can tell from my life that I don't believe it. And I'm going to have to war with this. We're meant to identify our giants and kill them. So what can we expect when we begin to commune with God in greater ways? He, he so just longs for that time with us. To just commune with us, to talk with us, to hear our thoughts. What can we expect? 
when we begin to commune with God in greater ways, well, number one, we can expect the fruit of the Spirit to manifest more in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many need more of one of those things or all of those things? It's called the fruit of the Spirit because it comes when we spend time with the Spirit. It's born out of our relationship, our connection with Jesus Christ. Our connection to the Father and then we bear the fruit of the Spirit. How many know you can't try, those, try to do those things well? Like, you know the enemy is incapable of those things? Like, we've seen it. If you, see, if you ever see someone manifest, you'll see. <laughs> they, there's none of this. There's no self-control. There's no uh, patience. It's like, it's like a four-year-old having a temper tantrum. We get this because we're connected to Jesus Christ, and when we, when we spend time with him, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we have to work up. Like, i got to try really hard to be more kind. This comes automatically out of spending time with the, with the Spirit. All those things are fruit of communing with God. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the presence of God. This is why people would want to be around Brother Lawrence. He just had this, this peace that he carried from being around the Father, from just being constantly communing with, with God. He just radiated peace. What can you expect when you begin to commune with God in greater ways? And by the way, this is like as simple as just like acknowledging God. Like, God, thank you. I just got to work. Thank you that you're here with me. What do you, what do you say about my day, Jesus? You're, you're doing your job throughout the day. Someone's having a conversation with you. Like, Lord, what do you think about this conversation? Like, what do you think about this person? Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? Just commune with them. Like he, want, he loves that kind of relationship. This is like a dialogue. Number one, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit manifest more in your life. Number two, you'll start to see God, uh, where God is moving and what he's doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. How do we know what the Father's up to? Spend time with him. He'll start to show you what he's up to. As you're communing with God, he shows you what he's doing. He shows you where, what his heart is. He shows you what his heart is, what he's thinking about. This is what friends do. We, we talk about our feelings, our emotions, what we're excited about. You'll start to know those things. Jesus was our perfect example of what we can do when we commune with the Father. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that word is not the Bible. That particular word, it's rhema. It's the spoken word of God. So it's not saying we, like, man cannot live on bread alone, but on the Bible. It's a good idea to read the Bible, I believe. But that's not what that scripture is saying. He said, man, can, man cannot live on bread alone, but he has to live on the spoken word of God. How do we hear the spoken word of God? We listen. 
we quiet ourselves. What are you saying, God? He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you in every situation. You'll begin to manifest the, Holy, the fruit of the Spirit more. You'll begin to hear what God is doing, what he's breathing on. And number three, you'll experience the encouragement of the Lord. This one is simple but very powerful. God wants to encourage you. When you talk to him, when you start to have this dialogue, you'll start to realize he's an extremely encouraging friend. He's an extremely encouraging friend. His voice is the most loving and gracious voice that you're ever going to encounter. Especially because he sees you in your true identity before you do. So even if your behaviors are not reflecting your true identity, he speaks identity and actually brings us into identity. <coughs> His thoughts for you are more than the sands of the seashore. So given the opportunity, he has a lot to say about you. He's got a lot of thoughts about you. He's not going to run out of thoughts if you just became a Brother Lawrence and just communed with him 24-7. He's got enough thoughts to last your lifetime and then some. He has a lot to say to you that he wants to say. When you make room to hear his voice, you'll live encouraged. Amen. Can we just bow our heads this morning? We're moving into a season where God wants to teach us more about friendship with him. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I now call you friends. I just want to ask you, what's keeping you from communing with God? Maybe it's a lie about who God is. Maybe it's this lie. <clears throat> I don't have time. I don't have the time. Maybe your father was distant and you've just put the face of your father on God. What's, what's keeping you from just communing with him, just from talking to him? Just let the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit is just going to speak to your heart. Jesus, I just pray you're just breaking lies right now. Every lie that would keep us from just coming to you like children. From communing with you. Thank you, Jesus. I just declare over you this morning, some of you are coming into love encounters with the Father. 
we're going to begin it, you're going to begin to radically encounter his love in your quiet time with him. And I just declare God is just breaking lies right now. He's wiping the face of your father off of him. Even if you had a great father, God is so much more. You can open your eyes. How many, this is just, I'm just curious. How many people, like, you feel like God shared something with you? I feel like God shared something with me that keeps me from communing with him. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now take that, whatever he spoke to you, and take it, go to battle with it. If he showed you the lie, you need to ask, okay, God, what, what's the truth? And begin to war with that.